Hello, Rob, and hello, everyone. And it's good to be here with everyone. Uh, that was a bit loud. <laughs> um, I had someone ask me um, this week, uh, you know, how long are you going to carry on this podcast for? You know, Stu and Rob. He said, you know, you've, you've already done enough, don't you think? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? So, uh, no, he wasn't telling us we needed to stop. He was just surprised that we actually, uh, we, we, we're just keeping on going with, with, with uh, the episodes. And uh, yeah, and we then had a discussion about how, how important and how much more there is to, to actually talk about. So he was actually hoping we would continue uh, for a lot longer. So, yeah, Rob, we, I think, um, certainly I speak for myself, but, but others as well are, are really grateful for, for the stuff that you're putting out there. And um, I think for a lot of us, it's about re-listening actually to many of these. Uh, you don't, it doesn't seem like for me anyway that I'm sort of really imbibing this stuff uh, unless I re-listen to it and rethink about it and, and go over it. But thank you again for all that you, you're putting into all of us. And what, what, where are we going to go today? Grace you and, uh, and just to say it's a real pleasure and uh, certainly for myself these are things that um, I can think about um, over and over again. Um, we were talking a little earlier around how complicated things can be and uh, how complicated it can be to, to raise kids in today's world. So I think we could have quite a bit to talk about for some time to come. So Stu, as far as today goes, and maybe just a bit of context, we're looking at anxiety, stress, particularly during this tough time. But of course, anxiety and stress are and have been part of childhood for, for, for years and years and years. It's a common part of childhood, actually, and, and not an easy area for, for parents to manage. So um, I have in mind a triangle. On the top of the triangle is the body, and we looked at physiological symptoms of um, anxiety over the past few episodes. So we've been focusing on you know the horrible feelings that come with anxiety. And it's gunky and tough and uh, you know, hateful, we were talking about in the, in the previous episode. Um, I want to, though, now go on to the mind, um, the mind aspect of anxiety. All of these things are linked. Um, that would be the second point on the triangle. And from there, we're going we're gonna to step across to action or behavior. Um, they're all tied together. We are going to bounce on those. Um, during the course of all of these uh, these episodes, but just so that uh, we know where the emphasis is, I want to have a look at the mind today. Um, I was thinking this morning um, about a time that I was anxious, um, not that long ago, and it was a strong anxiety. It really sort of assaulted my body. It came on suddenly, and I felt, you know, all those horrible feelings that go with anxiety in the chest and the tummy. I know my breathing changed. And yes, anxious. And that was my, my awareness of the experience. Um, what was less obvious to me, uh, but still very important, is why? <laughs> what on earth was that all about? Um, where had my mind gone? Um, and then... Also, another thought I had was um, uh, when we perhaps wake up uh, and manage to beat the alarm clock by 40 minutes or so, uh, we doze, we drift off, and uh, in that we start to have quite an elaborate dream. Wake up again to realize that maybe only two minutes have passed by, 
And we realize that in those two minutes, we've actually had a pretty fantastic dream about all sorts of stuff. And I, I, I mentioned that um, to, to show us how fast, rapid, and um, creative the mind is, how quickly our mind constructs storylines, images, and powerful things that actually move us in all kinds of ways. So the mind, although it's not an obvious element of anxiety, it's really crucial, it's fundamental, and goes to that concept of worry logic that I've been talking about. The, the mind that underpins this problem that our children and we sometimes face. What is it? Why has this thing got us so? Um, and I want us to, as parents, have ways of helping our kids um, understand themselves as, as thinking people. Um, the way that they are interpreting situations and understand that so that they can have some important handles again in terms of how to think about difficult situations, anxiety-provoking situations. I want us to move them from worry logic to strong lo logic or cor courageous logic, if you like. Help them to get a reasoning that they can actually use um, and be creative and strong in their lives in ways that I think can make them really proud. So, so that's why I want to go, partly why I want to go to worry logic is to, is to help them to move from there into a much stronger space mentally. I mean, I think one of the things that I certainly can think back in, in my childhood is that I wasn't even aware of what my mind was doing. I wasn't even th really thinking about it. It's only as an adult that I've actually started to think about it. And obviously, I think what I'm wanting to do with my children is to help them start to become aware of their thoughts and, and, and how their mind is, is going fast or slow or, or whatever is going on. Is that, is that what you, you're kind of saying here? Is that that's the starting point? Absolutely. And I want to say that that is massively important, not only for anxiety-inducing situations, but for life. And, uh, you know, as an adult, you're starting to, to watch your mind and work out what are you thinking. And I want to say that even that's rare, you know, that most of us don't do that looking in the mirror work, you know, to work out why on earth did I do that? What's going on? Because these assumptions, these interpretations, the kinds of of images, storylines, imaginations that we carry, those deep motivations, um, sentiments of the heart, usually we don't know them. They actually work underground, uh, beyond our awareness. So bringing our minds into awareness, helping our kids and ourselves to think about the way we perceive things, the way we understand things, is I think incredibly rich and certainly is for us as parents, something really important and incredibly helpful to 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 uh, enable in our in our children. So my my question then would be, and I don't know where this is where you want to go. So we don't have to go there if you don't want to. But but how do you help your kids then to start doing that? How do you how do you actually begin there? Do you want to go exactly there? And it's actually so important. Um, but when it comes to emotional um, situations, again, we need to watch first of all our tendency to try to get our kids out of that emotional space. So if we're too quick to reassure, if we're too quick to try to sweep the anxiety away, we'll miss a chance to get at the logic. So as I said, I think right at the outset, we need to first of all let our kids be anxious at least long enough for them and us to understand it. That's really interesting because, uh, you know, one of the things that I've been trying to do 
better <laughs> is to try and not sweep things away as quickly as I used to. And would you say, you know, reassuring it's going to be okay is actually quite a bad phrase to use. Or how, how, would you, how would you talk to a child that's anxious about something that's coming up in the next few hours? Yeah, it's not that it's a bad phrase uh, entirely. It's just the timing of it. So I would, I would probably say that once, once I'd understood and helped the child understand why he or she is so anxious and actually the bad of it first. So let's first get to the bad because there wouldn't be that ghastly physiological response if, this, if there wasn't something bad. <laughs> so we first want to make space for that and say, oh my word, that sounds terrible before we get to, okay, so maybe not that terrible, you know, would be a kind of an agreement that the child and I can come to. But first we've got to get there. And uh, so really I'm saying I wouldn't start with that. And it's that knee-jerk impulse we have because, again, our kids' anxiety makes us anxious. When they're unhappy, we're not happy. And it can be this thing of an alarmed response where, you know, I've got to make this kid happy. I've got to tell them it's going to be fine. <laughs> so it's that kind of uh, reaction that I'm, I'm saying watch out for. And then when you're under time pressure, so you're on your way to school <laughs> and you don't, you've got five minutes. I'm just making this up, but you've got five minutes to go before the kid's got to get out the car and actually, actually go, go to school. Um, you know, I find those the most difficult parts when there's this pressure and you, you want to slow down and listen and try and understand and, and do that. What do you do in those situations, Rob? Yeah, it's true. And it's awful too to have a child go to school unhappy. It hasn't happened to me a lot as a parent, but on, on occasion I've dropped off an unhappy child. And oh my word, it's terrible. You make your way down to work and just worry about them the whole day. So it is hard. I still though wouldn't um, shortchange the, uh, the joining part of the conversation. I still would uh, make sure that the child knows that, that I hear them, that they're not happy. Um, I wouldn't try to to strangle that aspect or to or to gloss over that aspect. I'll try to at least join them in that and say, oh, Flip, I'm really sorry. I do want to talk with you about this. And I want to hear from, from you uh, more when I see you later today. I'll be thinking of you. So it's that kind of joining then that I would probably do. Yes, and I think the, 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 the couple times that I've, I've done it that way and not the way, you know, the sort of reassuring and quick to try and sweep it away, uh, it... It definitely looks like to me that there is definitely a, a, a calmer, a calming when that is done. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And so to go back to, to helping your child actually, you know, understand what's going on in their mind, Rob? Yeah, but just to say there's a calming because what you're doing is you're attuning, you're tuning in, which is a part of attachment. So it means that the bond is there. It's like we want to be with our kids in the mess. We want to join them and say, this territory, I'm standing with you, I'm thinking of you today. It's that kind of solidarity, that kind of closeness that um, I think elicits the calming. You know, it's like dad's here with me. He gets it, you know. Um, because again, remember that if we if we give our child the idea that their emotion, you know, maybe it's going to be okay, don't worry, it doesn't need to be like this, it's very easy for them to then feel a bit silly about being anxious or, you know, again, even more anxious because they're there on their own in a way. So that attuning is really important. Um, and I, I'm happy to stay there until I feel like the child 
gets the sense that I get it. And I, and I routinely ask kids, do you think I understand? Um, and I, I want to hear what they have to say about that. I won't progress until they say to me, and I think you understand really well. So with that in mind, um, this idea of understanding, um, I suppose it's really around, look, if a child is very, very tearful, very, very distressed at the physical level, I can see that they are you know, quite, quite upset, quite charged, quite keyed up. My first response as a parent would be to help them calm down physically. So that physical part remains and will always be important, uh, the physical soothing. So it would be if it was my child, I'd sit with him or her, um, hold them, uh, you know, make that sort of physical contact and just wait until they were calm enough, if you like, to be able to think with me. So um, that's probably what I would do. And then with that, I would want to start asking them, uh, why are you so anxious? What is it about this that makes you scared? Now, of course, they won't know. Usually they won't know or they'll volunteer an answer, but I can tell that it's an answer that it's an unthought or un unconsidered answer. Something that, you know, they just think, well, maybe this will get dad to stop asking me or they don't know. Um, so what I do with that then, um, and again, the younger the child, the more I will do this, is I imagine with them. So I start to speculate with my mind, in my mind, what it could be. And, uh, and, and talk with them in that way, this sort of speculative way. And I use my imagination because what studies are showing is that for all of us, in fact, anxiety feeds off imagination. So I'm also wanting to kickstart my child's ability to look at his own imagination. And usually if I am patient with that and uh, almost uh, think about it in a, a sort of a frame-by-frame -frame movie sequence, you know, maybe this happens and then that happens. Um, taking it forward in that in that frame by frame way, the child will start to imagine with me, and oftentimes take over in some important way. So I get to the level of his or her imagination, his or her fantasy level. What could it be that has uh, elicited such a strong response? I'm sure you know every child is different and every child uh, will respond differently to to those things but that's certainly something again that I've tried having had your advice on this already and it certainly has been something that's helpful and so just to finish off uh, this this particular episode and I'm sh we've got lots more to talk about as we go on in the in the following episodes but to finish off am I right in saying that the main reason that you're doing that um, as you said before, is is to is to help the child or help anyone, myself included, to be able to start to view yourself and view your thoughts, so that you can actually start to understand yourself, become more aware, which can calm you down, or certainly does me, and and not just keep you rolling around uh, in in sort of an unawareness space. Yes, I think so. I mean, Stu, when we start to put things into words then we are more on the front foot psychologically. We're better able to pick and choose our way forward. Um, and it's also a joining experience. So we're starting to now humanize the space. Um, we're starting to think about it with someone who cares about us and with whom we feel safe. So there's quite a bit going on when we, when we bring something like this, some sort of, you know, something that's inside us but unspoken. Uh, when we bring it into words, 
we're starting to transform it in really helpful ways. And I will say more about this in the next episode. Great, Rob. Thank you.